Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Friends, uh, as we continue in our sermon series, uh, The Power of Prayer, uh, from Life Lessons in, in James, uh, I am, I'm a little disappointed because I realize that this series is coming to an end. I only have, uh, well, there is at least one more, possibly two and possibly three. Uh, some of them I'm not really exactly sure that God wants to use them, uh, and I've created a lot of sermons that God never used. And uh, then once in a while, He'll bring them out years later, and that's okay, because it isn't about me. <laughs> it isn't about you, it's about Him. And so obedience is what we're after, amen? And God knows more about what you need and I need than I do. And he knows more about what you need than you do. We're going to find that to be true at the end of the message. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I think there's something important about what James is saying, and sometimes I think we misinterpret what he's talking about. How many of you in here today believe that you understand everything there is to know about God? <laughs> yeah, about that. See, every time I think I understand God, I realize that I don't. I, I understand some things about Him, and praise the Lord, I'm growing in that. Anybody with me? You're growing in it. But you don't understand everything. And, and I, I told uh, my dad yesterday, I said, you know, Dad, the older I get, the less I really know. I tell you that a lot. And as you get older, you, you, you understand that, don't you? Because when you're younger, you believe you know everything, even more than your parents do. And sometimes maybe it's true, but it isn't always true, is it? There is no uh, substitute for experience especially in God. You understand what I'm saying? There's no substitute for experience in God. And the only way you're going to have experience in God is not just seeing His hand, but communication with Him, being with Him, being what the Bible calls being in, into Abraham's bosom. Because I think you can get there before death. Jesus made that clear by giving, by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You understand? Maybe you will by the end of the sermon. Power of prayer. I think sometimes we misunderstand prayer, misunderstand what it is, how to go about it, what to ask for, how to ask for it, whether we're going to get answers or not. We misinterpret if God answers or not. And I'm going to address a lot of those things today, but here is what I'm going to say to you. What I'm going to teach you, the things I'm going to say to you, isn't always necessarily talked about in a, in a church setting, in a public setting like this. Usually in a theological class amongst uh, uh, potential ministers uh, looking for ordination. Yeah, we'll talk about this kind of stuff. And a lot of times they'll do that dog looked at, like this. Never heard that before, never thought about that before. There are just certain aspects of the depth of spirituality that certain people don't get to for a couple reasons. One, they haven't been taught the depth of it, and maybe the people teaching it don't know it. Secondly, we're not ready for it, right? Every infant I ever knew would like to put anything on the table that we have for dinner in their mouths, but they're not going to do very well with it, right? And so we give them what they can actually handle, right? And they progress a little bit at a time, don't they? So that's what God wants us to do. The problem with the church today is that everybody hasn't gotten to that next level. I know that based on what I see the church doing, which is little. It's not near as effective as it should be. And I'm not trying to be mean or, or nasty or a downer again. I'm just telling you the truth. If the church was the praying church that Christ intended to be, how effective would we really be? Amen? So God wants you to understand today the depths of the power of prayer, and I may actually give you some concepts that maybe you're going to be like, What? I don't understand that because I think we misunderstand sometimes. And I'm not saying 
that I have all the answers because I don't, but God does. And He wants to give them to you as you're able to receive them. Take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 5. And even though we're reading the very last section of the entire book of James, that doesn't mean we're finished yet. Now, we, we have uh, a few more places to go before we're done with it. I won't read all of the, the end of the chapter, but scroll down to verse 13. Uh, we're only going to go through 18 today, so six verses. And listen to what he has to say. Now, today, I'm going to read out of the New American Standard, and the reason is because I think it's imperative that we look at a direct translation because the paraphrased versions will not give us the depth here, okay? So I need you to understand the Greek, and I had to go into the Greek to make sure that the NASB interpreted it the way I think it reads, and, and it, it's, it's downtown. And so uh, listen carefully as we look at it. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Then, notice this in quotes, then he must pray like it's a given. If you're suffering, you're going to have to pray or you're, you're, any other thing you do is worthless. If you're suffering, you must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then, again, in italics, he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Get that. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Oh, my goodness. I, I could probably go a week every day with an hour or two message on that portion alone. But I know you're not going to allow me to go quite that long. Some of you will probably leave. Some of you might not. But it would be the rest of the day. Okay? And maybe we'll get there eventually. But listen to this, therefore confess your sins one to the other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous, it says man, but today we would say person, can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would rain and it did not rain on the earth for three days and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and earth produced its fruit. Friends, I'm not going to touch too much about what happened with Elijah because we'll, we'll run out of time. But what I do want you to grasp today is what I'm going to teach you today is probably outside and above the realm of what most, in most cases you will learn in a sermon or a basic study. So I really need you to listen up today. And I know that maybe at the end of this, I told Pastor Chris, there may be more questions than answers at the end of this thing. Okay? And so because I believe God wanted this given, because everything that I had planned to give out on Friday, God said, no, you're not. And I had to trust Him Friday night on that He was going to give me what I needed and not what I had prepared. The, I think the message is the same, but the way, the way I'm coming to it is different, okay? So stick with me here. And I'm going to have to trust God, and you are too, that God will give you the answers you're looking for. Because just because you don't understand something right off the bat, or maybe it's something you've never heard before, doesn't make it not so. And you've got to rely on God to enlighten you over time, yeah? That's how we grow. So, having said that, there isn't any doubt in my mind that we need God power. We talked about it last week, remember? God power. And I would say that particularly today, in the way the society has gone, if ever we needed God power, is now. More so than ever before. Not only has society become more hostile toward God, but their hostility has given more authority and power to Satan. Now, I want you to grasp what I just said to you. This isn't my opinion. This is God's opinion. More God, more authority and God's power. Less God in any society, more authority and power to Satan. Yes or no? Come on. Okay? It's just, it's just you want to talk about relevancy? There it is. Agreed? So we have to understand this. Now, the fact is, we have always needed God. There hasn't been a time when humanity didn't need God. Oh, we thought we did, didn't need Him, but there's never been a time in our history that we didn't. Everybody agree with me so far? But the fact is, we are plugging into Him less and less than we ever have. And if our need is greater today than it's ever been, then why is it that we're plugging in less than we've ever have? Well, there's some things upside down. And is it any wonder society has gone and done exactly what it is? I can explain it right now. People say, I don't know what the answers are. 
And I can tell you, I do know what the answers are. I know 100. You know why? Because God knows what the answers are. He's already given the answers to us. The problem with it is we don't like His answers. We don't like His plan. But they're there. Now, that's sobering, isn't it? Don't say God's not listening. We're the ones not listening. It's always been that way. Now, here's another thought. You see, we like the idea, and you're going to hear this again later on, of having our own brand of Christianity. We want Christianity to come to us, not the other way. We want to make it what suits us, not what God says it is. Anybody doubt that? Come on. You know why? Because we want what we want. And what do we say here? People believe what they want to believe? Yeah. Okay. So is it any wonder that we're trying to make Christianity in our own brand? But sadly, in a world such as we have today, if the church doesn't pray, and if the church doesn't plug into God, do we really think that our society has a chance? Now, I know that the church is never going to fail. God said the gates of hell can't stand against it, up all the way to the end of the age. So it's going to stand. The question is, what if only one person is still standing? And that could happen, couldn't it? I doubt it, but it could. The way we're going, I could see it. So the church is going to have to plug in to God and pray so that our society has a chance. Amen? Because, again, less God, more Satan. And you tell me who the ruler of this age really is. Okay, so we have work to do, amen? Even Jesus, the Son of God, prayed. He was fully God, the Bible says, but He prayed. And people say, well, why, why would God the Son have to pray to God the Father? Because He was human, at least partially. And if He prayed, <laughs> and if Satan attacked Him, <laughs> uh, do we think it's any wonder that he won't attack us. So, the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane tells me a massive throughput here. And it does because it shows us what Jesus went through. Now, you know the story. It says that, you know, he, he went, he, he, he left a group of disciples there in the garden, and then he, he took just the, those closest, Peter, James, and John, those who were closest to him, and then the, he, he prayed with them for a few minutes, and then he went on over by himself and prayed. Now, I think that's just significant. Okay, and then he prayed, and then he came back, and they were, the three were sleeping, and he was upset, and he had some words for him. then he went back, and the Bible says he, he, was, he was increasingly, and the word is agitated. We don't use that word much in that scripture because the Bible doesn't translate it that way in some of the versions, but he became increasingly agitated, not angry, but uneasy. He was, he was, he was, because he could see what was coming. He saw the entire sin of the entire world falling upon him. He was going to have to take it upon his own shoulders. And he realized what that meant because there was going to be a separation from the father and that's what he struggled with the most. And so it says, the Bible says he began to pray. Get this, the Greek word is in earnest, earnestly. And as he did so, now there are some uh, uh, people who believe the direct translation said he prayed uh, uh, and his sweat became blood. That's not what happened. It's a, it's a medical phenomenon that when, when you are uh, agitated or you, your emotions are so high and you're so fervent, if you will, in what you're doing that the corpuscles in your face expand and when they do when you sweat, it begins to, the blood begins to mix in and it, it looks like drops of blood. It's you, when, when, you're, when your emotions are, are in a place, sometimes are, we begin to sweat profusely even though it might not be hot. You don't understand what I'm saying? And that's a, that's a medical phenomenon that happened to Jesus. In other words, it goes to show us that he was in earnest. He was deep in prayer with the Father. And I wonder how often we actually do that. Are, are our situations, is the world, is a societal situation, is Satan, you know, is it any less now than it was then? No, it's more which is, means we should be in this state of prayer, and we're not. Amen? This is the point. If the master needed the power to pray to strengthen his resolve to go to the cross, do we not also need the power of prayer since we have to pick up our cross each day, regardless of what that is? 
In Luke 6.40, we find the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And I look at my life sometimes and realize that it isn't necessarily. But it should be. And I suspect that you're doing the same right now. So here's the question. Can we plug into the power of prayer so that we can tap the God power that we talked about last week? Well, see, you already know the answer to that. The answer might be yes, but the question is, will we realize it? This is almost the second part of that message. You understand? So let's start here and say, what does, the, what, what does prayer do? What, what is the power of prayer? What, what is it? Okay, is, isn't that the question everybody wants to answer? First of all, it brings relief to the suffering. Now, here's the thing. Notice what, what the word here is suffer, because you might not have that in your translation. You might not have that, that word. It might not be suffering. But I, I, w- I want you to understand what this means. Most of the time, we equate suffering with some form of sickness. And although we may suffer when we're sick, this isn't the suffering that James is talking about as it relates it. You see, people suffer in a variety of ways, and James definitely makes a difference in the distinguishment between being sick and suffering. He calls for, uh, for prayer for both, and he uses two completely different words to distinguish them. And while the direct translations most accurately translate the Greek word suffering, NIV and J.B. Phillips both translate it as trouble. Is any one of you in trouble? And yet the actual translation is suffer. But I can understand why they use trouble, because it's a different kind of suffering. It's a, it's a, in some ways, in our... I guess our modern terms, it would mean trouble, so to speak. So you have to look at what it means based on what he's trying to say and put them together to get the direct, the, the direct translation. Why? Because English cannot describe completely what the Greek was trying to say. Okay? So to understand what James is really saying, we have to put them together and, and guess or tr- try to get more completely what he was telling us. So... Trouble is definitely another way to translate the word, but people suffer physically without being ill. You understand that? We, we can suffer physically and not necessarily be ill. It's called an ailment. It's called an ailment. An ailment will likely make you suffer, and sickness, based on that, is also an ailment. Agreed? But an ailment can also be an injury or just the body wearing out. I mean, I feel, I feel it more and more every day. I have ailments. I, and, and doctors will say there's nothing wrong with you. I'm telling you, there's something wrong. And don't be cute. I know there's something wrong up here too, but I'm talking about the physical end of it. Okay? We also suffer mentally and emotionally. Anybody suffered emotionally lately? And some of us are suffering mentally and we refuse to acknowledge that. Or sometimes we don't know it. Agreed? Okay? More on that another time. We can also suffer spiritually, and oftentimes that brings suffering into the physical, the mental, and the emotional realm. If you're suffering spiritually, sometimes it exudes into the physical nature of your being and your emotionality and into your mental being. Now, see, this is, this, is, this is something we seldom look at and take into account, but you have to, because the spiritual binds everything together. And when it doesn't, it shows. Amen? Grasp what I'm saying to you now? Okay? Jesus is a perfect example of this suffering spiritually. He was so in tune with the Father that when he suffered spiritually, it affected every part of his being, and it showed. Clearly, there are lots of ways to suffer, and sometimes I don't think we realize it. But we also suffer from situations and at the hands of other people. Anybody suffered at the hands of anybody? Someone else? Situations? Sometimes they go hand in hand with the person. Sometimes we suffer in our own world and no one else understands it because it's in here. Let that sink in for a minute. It's called suffering in the mind. Sometimes we also suffer and we don't even know why. 
been in the line. And, and if someone would ask us, if a, if a professional, we seek help and they, and they ask us, we, we can't answer. We don't know. What's wrong with you? I don't know. I counsel people all the time that don't know. If I tell them what's wrong or ask them what's wrong, I, I don't know. Something's not right. And I start giving them suggestions. Could it be this? Could it be that? Could it be? Tell me what's going on in your life. And, and, and they don't know. Regardless of what it is, I can tell you this, suffering is not a pleasant place to be. Is it? But James is clear that it doesn't matter what the suffering is. He says we should pray. Regardless of what the suffering is, where it comes from, how it came to be, what it entails, what should we do? And tell me what the last thing is we typically do. Okay? You follow me here? Sometimes it's hit and miss. We'll pray for a little bit, and then we don't get the answer we want or the relief we think we ought to get, so bam, we'll stop praying. And then it gets worse, and guess what? We go back. Anybody ever done that, that back and forth stuff? Okay. But the fact of the matter is, according to James, sometimes God's the only way you're going to get relief. And, of course, it may not come in the manner or the timing that you want it. Of course, that's a sermon for... Yeah, I'm not going to get to that today. So it brings relief to the suffering. It also heals and restores the sick. i got to touch this one because this is big. I think it's big because, again, this is one of those things I, I don't know that we understand. Every one of us has been sick. Sometimes it's just a passing bug, and sometimes it's terminal. Hmm? Still other times, it's not necessarily terminal, but it won't, just won't go away. And so it's just annoying. We just stay sick. And this, in turn, oftentimes causes suffering. But James is point blank again. He says, when you're sick, we should call the elders of the church to lay hands on us and anoint us with oil. Now, we don't have in the Wesleyan Church elders per se. And the reason we don't is because our founders uh, understood that the world, word elder in many churches, in, and in my opinion, is terribly misunderstood. I'm not going to get into what elders are today, okay? Other than to say that there are many words that describe elders in the New Testament Greek, okay? Uh, Poiman is an elder. That's a pastor. Pres Bruros is an older person. Presbyteros is a person who's deep in the faith, and there are others. Uh, diaconus, which means deacon, and others like that. I'm not going to get into those today, and I've taught you that, yeah? But here's the thing. The elders of the church we're talking about could be a pastor, maybe not. It also could be a person who's not necessarily older, so we don't, we're not worried about the presbyteros, we're worried about the presbyteros, the people who are deep in their spirituality. That's who you want praying, yeah? These, this is what he's talking to us about. Okay, so we're to call the elders of the church, okay? And interestingly, the word that James uses for the result of this is fascinating. I feel like I'm teaching at Iwoo today. Because it, it, this is unbelievable to me, and, and, and I'm excited because I know God wants to show, show it to you. He, he wants you to get what he's trying to say. And so when I look at this, I think, okay, how do, I, how do I present this that they grasp it? Most of us simply assume that James is saying, when we have the elders pray and anoint us, that the sickness is just going to go away. If that person is powerful in their prayer and I want it, then God's just going to miraculously come in and... Mm, no. That's what we want. But that's not what he's saying. And let me show you why he's not saying that, okay? It isn't obvious because things get lost in translations sometimes. I want to be clear, though. God can take the sickness away, yes or no? Of course he can. He can either do it through our prayers where he comes in and and heals and deals with it, 
Or, as we learned last week, He can empower you because the Spirit that's in you, and you can lay hands, and you can heal. Yes? He did it before. He can do it again. Did Peter and John not heal people by the power that God gave them? Yes. Does it say God healed? No. It says they healed. Now, they couldn't have done it without God's power, right? So God ultimately is who did it, but He did it through them, yeah? Okay. Keep that in mind. Now, it doesn't always mean heal. I want you to think about that a minute. God, just because you're sick doesn't mean God's going to heal the sickness. Then why pray? I'm getting there. Hold on. I touched on this a little bit last week in this an area where I think we struggle with understanding God. Friends, let me be... First of all, we, we have to understand that we can't do it in human understanding. You can't try to understand God and human understanding. That's what society is doing, and that's why they dislike and disassociate from God. Because God doesn't do what in their human understanding they think He should. Yeah? They don't want to adhere to what God says because it doesn't make sense to them. It wouldn't if you didn't know God. And let's face it, when I didn't know God very well when I first got saved, did I understand all the things of God? No. And sometimes I still don't. Is it God's fault? No, it's mine because I haven't gotten there yet. God's, the Bible says God's revealed everything except for one thing. So there's nothing to chance here. We just haven't gotten there spiritually, or we would. Yes or no? Okay, so it's on me, isn't it? And does God withhold it from us? No, He doesn't. So I've got to step up my game and getting closer to Him and understand Him more, don't I? And God's still going to do things, even as deep as I think I am with Him, He's still going to do or not do things that I don't understand. Okay, this is why I'm saying he's not necessarily going to heal, because the Greek word that, uses, that James is using is translated restore, not heal, restore. He uses healing in there, but restore is the word he's talking about. Now, some of your translations might say that, some might not. So you have to grasp what he's actually trying to tell us. Restoration doesn't necessarily mean restore. Okay? And it doesn't necessarily mean heal either. It could, it could mean both. Okay? And sometimes it's neither. What it doesn't necessarily mean, again, is where some versions say make well. Restore doesn't necessarily make well or make the sickness go away. That's not what he's saying. It could be, but it may not be. And you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Let me get there. And you're like, quickly, please. <laughs> let's, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Immediately following the word restore, James also says that if the person has sinned, they will be forgiven. So if you put that entire Greek phrase together and get rid of the English punctuation, it gives you a very different story. And this is what I'm about to tell you. If the person is going to be forgiven, it doesn't necessarily mean that the sickness is going to go away. Let me explain that. We have to see that God's main concern is having us in a relationship with Him for eternity. How many of you understand that today? God's main concern is that you are with Him in eternity, in a, in a, in a, in a place where He can actually accept you into His family, and you're going to go to heaven and abode with Him forever. Yeah? That's, that's His ultimate goal. It always has been. Yes or no? Okay, so you have to understand that first, and if you don't, you won't. If you look at the circumstances of things, you won't. You'll not get it. You see, God would rather you have you spiritually and then allow you to suffer in just about every other way. That doesn't seem fair to us, but that's, that, that's it. He would rather see you suffer but be with Him spiritually then not suffer and not be with him. You understand that? Uh, ask the Apostle Paul. He'll tell you one day. Okay? 
But praise God, he wants to heal us and restore us in all ways. But the spiritual is always the top priority. And we have an example of this. When the friends brought the crippled man to Jesus, they came in mind to have Jesus touch this guy and heal his crippledness. Yes? Jesus doesn't do that. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And they all went. The friends are like, that's not what we came for. Why? Because to them, that wasn't the important thing, watching their friend walk was. And God said, no, I'd rather the guy be with me in eternity than walk on this earth. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are like, oh, wait a minute. They missed it completely. They didn't, they didn't grasp at all what he was saying. They said, you don't have the right to forgive sins, and even so, if you did, who would anybody, how would anybody know you did it? You, we don't know if your sins are forgiven or not. Can't see it. It's not tangible. What are you talking about? Come on, dude. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, the Son of Man can indeed forgive sins. And so that you know that I have that authority, not only that, he said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Well, obviously, your sins are forgiven because nobody would know. But if I say, get up and walk, and you do it, well, you're going to see that. And what did he do? So that you know I can do this, I'm going to do this. And he did. Why didn't he just heal him? Because he wanted to restore him first. And he used it two ways. So that the people that saw it would have faith in him, and the Pharisees would realize that he had the authority. You understand me so far? We could go on to that for a little while. Friends, I think sometimes this brings us to many questions. But we have to remember and understand that, that James said, restore and not make well. I know that NIV says make well, but that's not the depth of what he said. He said restore, and it could be spiritually. He would rather do that first, and he will. But I want you to understand that there might be aspects to this that in our human understanding we're just not going to get. When our spiritual eyes are opened, that's when we're going to get it. Okay? Now let me move on to the next thing. He says, heal the spiritually ill. See, maybe this is going to bring it all together for you. There are several things we have to get with this one. Notice that James says that the prayers must be offered up in faith. You see that? Have I lost you? Please, please don't let me lose you. Okay? I want you to get this. The prayers offered up in faith, those are the ones that are going to be effective. And there are several reasons for this. First, if the person is spiritually ill, then it's obvious that there has been an allowance for demonic oppression. I'm not saying possession, although it could be, but definitely oppression. I, I, to my knowledge, I have never been demonically possessed. I've seen a few people that I thought were, but I myself don't think I have been. In fact, I'm pretty sure. But I can assure you I've been oppressed. Every one of you in here has been oppressed if you're a Christian. I assure you of that. Amen? Okay, so when you're spiritually ill, the oppression becomes worse. Right? It just makes common, it's common sense. You can't really get away from that. Okay? We can be sick and suffering in just about every way there is. We can't fight Satan and his demons on our own, but sometimes we'll still try. Anybody ever done that? Okay? Now, the Bible is clear about this, and I'm not saying that every single lingering illness that we have that just doesn't seem to go, go away is a demonic attack, but it could be. And let's face it, if doctors can't figure out what's wrong with this, and they ought to be able to find out what's wrong with this, it could be demonic, yes? But we never think of that aspect because we put our faith and trust in what? Medical science. Yeah? And I, I'm, I'm glad we have doctors that can do that. I'm not telling you not to. I'm glad we've got them. I'm glad they've advanced that much. And we know, Lord, thank, thank the Lord, we know more than we did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, you know, uh, Freddie Mercury, when he, when he contracted AIDS, it was a death sentence, and he knew it. Today, not necessarily. In fact, probably not. 
It, it, he, he died what? In, in the 90s. So, so you can understand we've advanced. And, I, and I'm grateful and I'm thankful for that. But there are certain aspects that science and medicine cannot explain. Right? And I'm not saying that everything they can't explain is demonic. I'm not saying that. But I also am saying that we can't just discount it neither. Agreed? Cannot discount it. So understand that it could be exactly that. And what I am saying is what the Bible is saying. The spiritual controls everything about us. It always has. But it's the last thing we turn to. We feed the, the physical and the metaphysical, and then we feed the mental-emotional. There are three aspects of your life. Those are the first two. The third is the spiritual. When Jesus got his new heavenly body, the physicality of himself went to the background, and that's why they did not recognize him with their human eyes. But when God opened their spiritual eyes, then they recognize him because the spiritual in the new heavenly body is what identifies us, not our looks. I lost you, didn't I? Don't let me do that, please. Okay? The spiritual is the glue for everything else. It is the most important, and it defines who you are. We define ourselves by what we think of ourselves and what we look like in the mirror. And God says, that's not how I define you. I define you by the essence of how I created you. And I created you with a soul, get this, at conception. Conception. Now, you can disagree with that all you want to. Good luck with that. Bring a sack lunch. You're going to lose. Anybody comes to me with that, that garbage that it's not until birth is going to lose. The Bible says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I knew you before you were, and I know the plans I have for you. I am for you, not against you. Does it matter how you are or were? No. Even if you came from circumstances outside of your control or what some would say is wrong, it doesn't matter. You still are. So God gave you the innermost self that you are. It's in your being. It's your soul. And here's the thing. It's the only thing that we're going to take with us into the next life. Okay? Are you starting to get this now? The soul is the only thing you're going to take with you. Not even this body's going. It's not. It's going to transform and change. Whether it's in the grave or whether it's not, it's going to transform if you're his. Yes or no? It's going to transform. You can't take this one with you. Nothing about you is going. Just the essence of who you are in the manner that God created you. The soul, that's what it is. The body is just, in my opinion, for better, like, you know, better way uh, of looking at it, it's just kind of like... Um, it's. It's just that what holds the soul. That's all it is. It will go away, and you get a new one, a better one. But the soul remains. It's the only thing you take with you. But the soul is the only thing that lives with us in both worlds, okay? Which is why the spiritual is and always has been the most important, because if we're spiritually ill, we're in danger of not going to the home that we really want, okay? You get that. Not only that, because we can't fight Satan alone, God must be working in us or for us. You do get that, I hope. And that means his spirit has to be in us for that to happen. Now, without faith, according to James, that can't happen. It has to be in faith or you're not going to get it. Okay? Which is why James is clear that the prayer offered in faith has to be established. God won't work in or through those who simply just ask or pray with no faith. He cannot. And people say, well, there's no well about it. I, I, I stand on the Word of God. That's what it says. I believe that. And further, I've seen when I prayed earnestly and fervently and when I didn't. And God knows the difference. You know what? So do I. Right? Sometimes I prayed for God and asked Him to do a miracle and wondered if He would or could. I, I've at, Right? Tell me you haven't done that. And God says, what kind of faith is that? You see, in order to communicate with God, you have to have a relationship with Him. Otherwise, the prayers you offer are just words. And the Bible indicates that they will fall on deaf ears. 
before you get up and leave, listen to me. Make sure your elders are people of faith. Amen? Hmm? Church? And that you yourself are a person of faith. Hmm? Clearly, the man that Jesus healed believed Jesus could do it or he wouldn't have done it. Every single person that came to Jesus and said, will you heal me? He did. Why did they come to him? Because they thought he could. They believed him. They had faith that he could. Yeah. In fact, one, one person even said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus said, I am indeed willing. Your faith has healed you. You see it? If they didn't have faith, would he have healed them? Apparently not. So understand that. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Okay? Now, healing the man's legs was a welcome addition. Agreed? But God wanted the soul, and He knew He didn't have it. So He healed him first. He healed the spirituality. Remember, faith in Christ and restoration to God are the most important, and they always will be, which is why the word restore is what the Greek uses, because that's exactly what James meant. Restoration doesn't necessarily mean healing. Do you understand? God wants to restore you to a place where you can enjoy eternity with Him, and that will always be at the heart of everything He does first. Anything else you get is gravy. Okay? Which is why we tell everybody, let's not lose focus what we're doing with our children next door on Wednesday nights. Yes, I know some of them come in here, especially in the summertime, and, and they don't have school, and they didn't have lunch because the school wasn't in session, so they didn't get a lunch that day. Yeah? There are some kids that are almost gluttons. If we have rolls or bread, they, they will stuff their pockets, but you know that because they don't know if they're going to eat tonight or tomorrow unless school's in session. And it's easy for us to get caught up in this heart thing and say, oh, we just got to feed them. We just got to feed them. Yes, you do. But we need to feed them Jesus before anything else because Jesus said, man does not live. Yes. Why? but on the very Word of God. Why? Because Jesus was saying it would be better to die of starvation and live eternally on the Word of God than to fill your belly and die eternally. But Satan wants us to believe it's just the opposite because he wants us to do what? Satisfy the rumblings and our tumbly, according to William the Pooh. Right? Now, come on. Is it, is, and listen, and Snickers knows it because they've got a great commercial that tells you it does. Now, I don't know about you, but Snickers doesn't really do it for me all the way. I'd need a little more than that, but, but it's good, I guess. Okay? So, but we would rather feed the, the, the physical versus the spiritual. We'd rather feed the emotional versus the spiritual. Why? Because we don't see the depth of what he wants. And I'm not sure any Christian today is at that place where they would always go for the spiritual and deny the rest of themselves. I don't know. Which is why we won't sacrifice anything. You see a pattern? Understand, friends, quickly what the source of your power is. It's God the Creator. It always has been. It goes back to faith. Either you believe in the real Creator or you don't. Unfortunately, much of society does not, which is why we are increasingly hostile toward God, His laws, His commands, and most importantly, hostile toward His Word. And there are people that are hostile toward His Word and don't think that they are. They call themselves Christians, and they're not. Now, you're like, how, do you, how can you determine? I can't. God does. Let me get there. Again, we want to seem to make up, want to make up our own brand of Christianity as we go along. God's Word and His principles haven't changed since the beginning of time. In fact, if anything, I am, I am more in adherence to the Word of God in the black and white than I've ever been in my life, regardless of the circumstances around me, and no matter how Satan tries to pull me to try to compromise it. Anybody identify with that today? Okay. Now, you have to understand a couple things. Any church, any denomination, any theology, any belief system that doesn't follow God's Word as well as, I dare say, its intent, you understand what I'm saying here, is not really Christian at all. Not me saying it, God saying it. 
And he says it many times over in the Word of God. One day, because God is the creator and according to the Bible, the sustainer of all things, he will also prove it by being our judge. Anybody doubt that? Okay, so he got to go to this and he's going to be the righteous judge, yes? Okay, so in this capacity, God's standards are going to be the only ones that matter. You do grasp that, correct? And I hope you do because you better get this one. Okay, here's the thing. If we interpret Scripture, we want to interpret Scripture in a manner that suits us, as some do, or we want to live our own brand of Christianity, well, God's not going to be the source of our power anymore, is He? Who is the source of your power if you do that? The one who has compromised you and cannot sustain you, but wants to have you deviate from the path, and He's good at it. Yeah? Come on. And you'll believe anything He puts in front of you that seems right. He's really good. He started with Eve. He did a pretty good job there. He does a good job with me and you too. Anybody with me here? Okay. So having said that, if we use Satan as our source, we won't, first of all, won't admit it. And secondly, we're not going to get very far. Agreed to that too? Okay. And, and, as, and as we continue to look at this thing, it's going to determine where we're going to spend eternity unless we are, get this, restored to the Father. Restoration is massive. It, 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 it comes up again. James is saying, without restoration, you cannot spend eternity with the Father. And not just the first time you're restored, but when you fall away from it too. And He restores you. Fall away. Restored. Yeah? Come on. Okay? You've got to get this. I know that this is some, some of it's kind of deep, but this part is Theology 101. It's Christianity 101. You want to be truthful. Truthful. Okay? Now, understand this. Not only is God the creator, but because he is, he answers prayer. Okay? What time we got here? I can't see. Okay. In 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, we find this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what you've asked of him. Now, friends, there's a lot I can say about that, but I will only say this. Billy Graham often repeated what the great Baptist preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, once coined. He said, prayer moves the hand of the one who moves the world. Prayer moves the hand of the one who moves the world. Again, God will, not only, uh, God will only answer the prayers of those who truly have faith in him. You heard me say it, because the Bible says it. God will only answer the prayers of those who truly have faith in Him. Write it down if you don't have it in your head. If it's not written in your heart, write that down. You want to know where it is? I'll show you several places. Okay? you got to get this. And I'm, again, I'm going quickly. But I want you to grasp what he's saying. Now, remember uh, what James says in verse 16. And notice he says that effective prayers come from righteous people. Effective prayers come from righteous people. Now, uh, they're the only ones that are going to accomplish such things. That's what he says. The other verses which tell us or suggest that God doesn't answer prayers of those who don't re really believe in him, who are sinful or who are, aren't obedient. Did you grasp that? You have to understand that there are other verses tell us that God won't answer the prayers of those who don't believe in him, who, aren't, who are sinful who, or who aren't obedient. Listen to these. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. James 4, 3. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's David, Psalm 66, 18. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Isaiah 59, 2. We know that God does not listen to sinners. This is New Testament. He listens to the godly person who does his will. John 9, 31. There are more. Do I need them? You shouldn't. Friends, I know for a positive fact that there are people out there who absolutely cannot and will not believe this. They cannot. Even though the Word of God says it right there. And I didn't cherry pick either. I didn't cherry pick verses. To, to, to prove a point here, it's right there, and they all go together, okay? Let me explain what I mean. I know that there are grace-only Christians out there. I know that. I also know that's not complete, okay? 
And grace-only Christians get incredibly indignant when we mention these truths because they want to believe that God hears every single prayer and answers every single one of them. And the Bible's clear that He does not. And I, again, don't really care what you want to believe. I, 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 we have to care what God believes. And what he says. I mean, it's not just one time. It's, it can't be just a misinterpretation. It's like 20 times in there. Are we misinterpreting 20 scripture? I mean, I just gave you four or five. And there's more. I only go back to this absolute fact that God alone is the one who judges right and wrong. Isn't he? He's the one who determines what his scripture says. If he didn't want to say it, it wouldn't be there. If he wanted it in there, and right? If it says that he wanted it there, he determined. And it is he alone who will say and determine whether you were righteous or not. Isn't he? You can say you're righteous all day. Doesn't make it so. He is the only source, and I tell you the truth, I think we better get back to Him, listening to His Spirit, reading His Word, and obeying what He's saying, because He's the source. If we have any other source, we're in trouble. Amen? And it brings me to my final point, and this is important because we got to get this one, and this is where it gets confusing. There are conditions of prayer. We don't like that. Nobody wants any conditions to prayer, but there are some. First of all, there has to be faith. We touched on this briefly. I'm going to hit it again in uh, uh, James 1, 6 to 8. He says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. <laughs> I, I don't know how you misinterpret that. We, we will, so what we'll do, since we can't misinterpret, we'll cut it out. Act like it's not there. But it is there. Now, to me, this is pretty straightforward. I, I suspect to you it is too, uh, but we'll still make a deal with ourselves if we don't want it to be. Okay? But notice what he says, that if we aren't completely obedient to God's word, as many who call themselves Christians are not, he's saying, how, how, then how can you have faith? If you aren't completely obedient to the word of God, you can't possibly have faith. It's not possible. And if you really don't have faith, then God cannot fully answer your prayers either. <laughs> He just said that too. See, it's, 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 it's a big circle. And God's got to be in the center of that wagon wheel, doesn't he? Every spoke leads to him, doesn't it? My good friend and mentor, Bud Bent, said that time and again, time and again at Indiana Wesson when he, when he taught us. I've never forgotten that. Have you ever learned something from somebody that you just can't get out of your mind? The wagon wheel. God's the hub, okay? And, and we're, 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 our life is the wheel, and every spoke connects us to him. Every single thing. What an analogy. Do you know that faithful people are obedient people? If you aren't obedient, you're not faithful. Which means you're faithless. Which means you have no faith and God's not going to answer your prayers. It's not that simple. No, it, it absolutely is that simple. It's so simple, we don't want to believe it. Okay? Obedient people have true faith. Those who have faith love the Lord. And the Bible says that if you aren't obedient, you couldn't possibly love the Lord, so don't say you do. Don't say you love Jesus if you're not obedient. You're wasting your time and His. It's lip service. That's all it is. Do they all go together? Yes. And He says there are conditions on our prayers. Now, I'll agree that there are no conditions on God's love. Agreed? There are no conditions on God's love. Who agrees with me on that? Yeah, come on. Keep your hands up. Who doesn't have their hand up? Look at them. I can't see them, so you look at them. <laughs> okay. Now, put your hands down. Who believes that there are conditions on God's love? Okay, you, you admit it if you think it. Here's the deal. There are no conditions on God's love. God, God's love is unconditional. Praise the Lord for that, because I'll tell you, I didn't deserve it. Did you? Okay. I'm glad there's no... We condition our love. He doesn't. But understand this. We can't put them in the, same, in, the, in the same category together. There are no conditions on God's love, but there are conditions on God's prayer. There are conditions on our prayers toward Him. 
Okay? God's love, because He loves us, sometimes says no. Just like we sometimes ought to say no to our children when we don't. And praise God, somebody in our life did. Okay? Loving you doesn't mean giving you what you think you ought to have. Does it? In fact, it's just the opposite. Because it might not be good for you. But today we want to be parents. We want to be friends to our children. And you got to be a parent first. And that's a sermon for... Yeah. I think you've had that in a time or two. Maybe we'll get it again too. Okay. Did you also know that sometimes no comes in the answers to our prayers? I've been on the, on the side of the no. I don't like it very much. But he still gave it that way. And other times, my friends, no comes through no answer to your prayer. And that can only mean that when you didn't get an answer to your prayer, that you aren't where you belong. Because he didn't answer you. Because if you are, you'll get an answer. You may not like it, but you're going to get it. People say, again, it's not that simple. I, I, I think it is incredibly that simple. It, does it... Does it cover everything? Probably not. I'm not going to get into all that stuff because there's more. But I want you to think about what he's saying. If you're not getting any answers, first of all, discern whether you got an answer and didn't like it, and it was no, or if you didn't get one at all. Because that would tell you possibly the status of your spirituality. I don't know about you, but I had some soul search to do. Anybody with me here? Now, now comes confession. Acts 8.22 says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. You see, Peter makes it very clear in this passage that prayers are offered in futility if we haven't confessed and repented of our sinfulness. See how quiet it is in here? This is another condition. We don't like it, but it's there. And you know what, friends? We've got to be very wary of determining what we think sinfulness is. Isn't that up to God to determine? Why is it then that we think we can say whether something's sinful or not? Because we want to keep doing it. That's why. And we want to okay others to do it too. Well, God's got something to say about that. I didn't put it in here today, but you know we've been down that road before. Again, only God determines what sinfulness is. It's up to Him. Your thoughts, your feelings, or your beliefs, they do not matter. I have said that to people, and they get furiously indignant with me. My feelings don't matter. Really? Yeah, really. Yeah, really. Because in the end, it's up to him. <laughs> Isn't it? And you know what, friends? The feelings and the beliefs of our society doesn't matter either. And sometimes the feelings and beliefs of congregant Christians doesn't matter either. Entire churches teach wrong things. Because again, we want to believe what we want to believe so we can do what we want to do. And don't believe for a second that sometimes it doesn't creep into our Christianity. It has. Which is why there's this massive split between churches all of a sudden. We're not talking about theological things. We're talking about social things. Aren't we? Not going down that road, but you know what I mean. Okay? We absolutely must, no matter who we are, what church we're in, what name's on the front door, what our theology is, doesn't matter. We must defer to the Word of God no matter what, period. I defer to the Word of God every time. Again, and I told you before, there's the door. If you can't, if you can't do that, then this is not the right. I'll help. I'll tell you what. You stick around. I'll help you find a good church. Because we're going to teach the truth here. That's it. I, can't, I, I, I would be doing you and God a disservice if I didn't. I think you're here because you want it. Okay? So let's seek it together, amen? And the Word of God is what, what teaches us, yeah? Then comes this word effective, notice. Uh, and really what the word could be is supplication because that's really what it means. Now, I want to explain that to you. The, supplication is the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Supplication. Uh, Luke twenty two forty four. 44, it says, And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood.
falling to the ground. I told you that story earlier on. The word effective here in the Greek has many offshoots. And the best word that we have to describe what it's actually meaning is the word supplication. Supplication. Now, I'll tell you this. In modern society, modern Christianity, modern uh, word usage in the English today, we don't use the word supplication very often. There's a lot of reasons for that. But you know what I think the most important one is? Because we're probably not practicing it. So there's no reason to describe it. Ooh. Anybody getting goosebumps on that? It did me. When God gave me that thought this morning, I said, oh, my gosh, God, you really want me to tell him that? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the ones that need to get it will get it. Supplication. We don't hear that word because we're not doing it. God wants us to do it. God wants us to pray in earnest like the Christ did. So we're not, we're not distracted by time or stuff or what we got to do or other people or, right? Just be in prayer. Just be in commune with Him. And sometimes God wants you to pray earnestly, not even for yourself, but for somebody else or for your nation or for your church or the church in general or people you don't even know. He's done that a time or two, hasn't he? Christ gave us an incredible example that proves that our attitude and spiritual status are completely necessary. That's why supplication is the correct word here. To pray in a manner that proves how serious uh, we are is highly important. In other words, our prayers aren't really effective unless we're completely under the influence of the Holy Spirit, as indeed Jesus was. For to be in this state is sometimes going to show in every aspect of our being, including the physical, as it again, it, it, it manifested itself in Jesus. Then we come to righteousness. I'm going quickly. Uh, 1 Peter 3.12, 1 John 3.7. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What do you do with that one when you compromise? Uh, what, ignore it? 1 John, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Say it with me. Do not let anyone lead you astray. For the one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So how many of you, by a show of hands today, believe you are righteous? I knew it. No, hear hear me. I knew nobody was going to raise their hand. I knew it. You know how I know? Because you've been taught to believe by Satan that if you say you're righteous, that you're arrogant. No. No. Absolutely not. If you're self-righteous, you're arrogant. Okay? But if, if you are right with God and you know you're right with God and the Spirit has told you you're right with God, are you righteous? Yes. How dare Satan tell you you're not? He's your accuser. Jesus said, wrong answer. You can be righteous and admit it. Now, if you're not, well, okay. Now we've got a different ballgame, don't we? Okay? But don't you dare be ashamed of believing that you're righteous when you are. When you are. God commands you to be so. He desires for you to be so. And there's nothing wrong. You admit you're a Christian. You claim that, don't you? Aren't Christians supposed to be righteous? Then why doesn't that come along with it? You see? See how the devil plays? He wants you to be less than, and God says, no, 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 be more than. Every time. Okay? If you want your prayers to be heard and effective, be righteous. Because you can't. If you couldn't, if it was wrong, if it was indignant, if it was arrogant, then God wouldn't have called you to it, would He? And He wouldn't have given you the Holy Spirit to get you there. Every every one of you in here ought to say, I'm righteous in Christ I am. Not, Not me, but Him, yeah? Okay. Lastly, 
Everything we pray has got to be according to His will. Worship team, come on up. We're, we're, we're losing time here. I'm, I'm having to cut a bunch out, guys, but here's the deal. You can and you must know what God's will is. I know you don't sometimes, but He wants you to. And sometimes when we ask, again, there's going to be no answer. It doesn't mean that we aren't righteous and we don't get an answer. Because sometimes God takes His time in it. You understand? Sometimes He doesn't do it right away, as indeed He's done it to me. God told me when I walked in the front door of that church, okay, in May of 2001, I'm going to build a great church here through you. And I looked at this church, I said, oh God, no, not me, not here. I did, I promise, I did. It wasn't what I expected. And God said, did I ask you what you wanted? And I said, well, sort of. Because he did. He said, I gave it to you. You said you wanted to pastor a great church. I'm giving it to you. You're putting conditions on what you want. Are you telling me I can't build a great church here, do you? Is that what you're saying, pastor? And I said, yes, but what you've given me here is a, is a complete piece of antiquated equipment. I mean, it's an inner city. It's an old building. It's in, in, in. And God said, and, and when has that ever stopped me? Really? <laughs> do, I, do I need to, do we have to have a new facility? Do we, we got one. We asked where he gave it. We said, how are we going to pay for it? We've done it. He's going to build another big facility that we're going to reach people with too. It's going to be different than I've ever even heard of in the entire country. He's going to do it right here. If he, can, if he can build the biggest CPC in the entire nation in Terre Haute, he can build the most amazing church in the history of the world in Terre Haute. Because he's God and he can. It doesn't matter what I do. Shelly and I talked this morning. And what do we say, Shelly? It's not about me. It's not about me neither. I don't agree with Rick Warren's theology sometimes, but his book is right. It's not about you. It's about him. His will, friends, is His will. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes God is going to do what's within His will, and sometimes we're going to ask outside of it. I get that. But here's what the thing. We ask for what we want. God gives us what we need. We ask Him for what we think we need, and He gives us what He knows we need. What has to happen here? It's not that you don't know what God's will is. You don't like what His will is. And He's saying, bring your will together with mine, and guess what? Everything you ask for will be given you. Nothing would be impossible for you. When these things come together, now things can take place. So who do you serve? Joshua asked the Israelites, God's asking us, who do you serve? Is it the righteous God? in the way he demands it, or is it self in the way you want it, which really is Lucifer? It's up to you. So as you stand with me today, friends, don't discount the power of prayer. But when you look at prayer, understand where it comes from, how it has to be delivered, and what has to be going on in here for it to be effective. Because when you do, guess what? God's all over it, like a starving wolf on a pork chop. And praise His name when you see His hand move. Amen?